is episode 72, and today we'll be going over typical fine motor skills for kids that are two years old. Generally speaking, I'm talking about kids from the 24 to 36 month age range. I will talk about what motor skills to look for, around what age to look for those skills, and what some activities are that can help encourage or enhance those skills with kids. I will also give specific skills to look for, but as always, understand and know that some kids do things a little earlier and some do things a little later than others. The age ranges I will be giving you are estimates and not exact age ranges, age ranges for development. Remember that I'm coming at this topic as an occupational therapist, so these activities are based on developmental milestones that we look for with kids this age. If you are a therapist or preschool teacher listening, I hope you will keep these activities in mind when working with kids and expand on them in whatever creative ways you can. As parents of two-year-olds, I hope you will gain some insight as to why we do these specific activities with kids this age and find ways to adapt them and make them work for you and your family. If you have a concern or a question about your child's development, please talk to someone in your area for more information about that. To start off, I would say that by the time a child is about 24 months of age, they should already be able to do the following activities, or should at least be in the process of doing them, or learning them. Imitating drawing a vertical line, imitating making circular scribble marks, putting one one inch bead on a string, and building a tower using six blocks. I want to start by saying these things because during the 24 to 36 month time frame, we should see these skills expanding and getting better and better. Plus, they will be doing even more advanced skills as long as they already have those skills that I just mentioned. At the beginning of the two-year-old age, or closer to 24 to 26 months, your child should be starting to build a train using three blocks in imitation, placing at least three beads on a string, holding a crown using their fingers more than their whole fist, and they're starting to be able to snip with scissors. Now, these items are very specific things that... As an OT, I would look for at this age to see if they can do them or not. However, that doesn't mean you have to sit down with them at a table and have them do all of the things exactly the way that I describe them. In fact, if you do that or attempt it, you may not have much luck getting them to do them with you. These are things I would tend to watch or observe with them during a play activity or a play scheme. For example... You don't have to have any special OT or therapy blocks for them to try building a train with. You can do this with anything that you can think of that will stack up where they need to try and balance them. And more importantly, you are focusing on can they imitate a design that you have built by building one of their own. A three-block train is something that They might be tested on if they are being evaluated or assessed by a developmental therapist. But in everyday life, we just try to observe this in natural ways. If you have some blocks that you play with 
try and find ways to expand on what they are building by modeling ways to stack the blocks that are different, not just up in one tower or in a line on the ground. Although those are good skills and concepts to practice also. We want to look for the visual motor imitation ability of building a design that they watch you build first, and then they can use your model to try and make one just like it. Sometimes at first, just getting them to understand the concept of, I built this one, now here are three blocks for you to try and build one just like it. Of course, repetition is always great with toddlers, so maybe you just end up building many of these little designs with them over and over until you have a village of trains or some other simple three-block design. To give you an idea, the three-block train is simply two blocks on the bottom side by side and the third block on top of one of the bottom blocks. When you make this and then drive the train by pushing it forward and making a train sound, especially the first time or two that you do this with the child, they often just want to take your train and drive it and make the sound too. Of course, that is perfectly fine to do. Then if you can show them that we can make more trains or any other simple design and call it whatever you want, then they usually become interested in making more or at least helping you by placing the third block on the top of each one. Sometimes I like to add to this by watching what they are building and I try to imitate their designs. Then you can point out to them that you made what they made and use that to introduce the idea that one person tries to build what the other one did. So they might become interested in trying your designs too. Basically, you don't have to be focused on building trains necessarily, but focusing more on the concept of imitating building something that someone else made first. Or even just simply imitating an action that you do with the blocks, depending on their level of understanding with this concept and their ability to have joint attention with you. When doing these block games, if I'm asking the child to build something just like my design using three blocks, sometimes I find it helpful to move any extra blocks to the side or out of the way and just give them three blocks that match mine. This way they can concentrate on those blocks only and not be distracted by the other additional blocks. And they don't have to try and find the correct or similar blocks out of the pile to imitate yours. Make it easy for them and take that step out of it. Just give them the ones that will help them be successful in building the same thing that you made. If three-block design imitation seems too difficult to grasp at first, just start with a two-block design. I like to do this with those types of wooden block sets that have a variety of shapes. Not just the cube blocks, but triangles, rectangles, tall cylinders, and all the other miscellaneous shapes that they have. This makes the two-block imitation easier because you can place, for example, a triangle on top of a cube, or a cube on top of a rectangle, or any other combination. This should be a concept they understand, the stacking a block on top of another block, because if we're working on the three-block designs now, it's probably because they have already accomplished building a six-block tower, like I mentioned in the beginning. So now instead of just stacking multiple identical blocks to make a tall tower, we are still stacking on top 
but using two differently shaped blocks. Also work on the placing one block next to another block concept. Some kids get this concept easily, but others want the blocks to go only up tall and don't think about laying them down in a row on the floor. That makes the three block train design a little confusing and the designs that come after that in the assessment process. Which in this age range, but later towards the 31 month and on ages, we start working on a three block bridge, which means two blocks are on the bottom, but slightly spread apart, and the third one goes on top, but in the middle. So it covers the space to make a small bridge design. We also continue in the later stages towards 32 months and on to refine the stacking block tower to get up to nine blocks total. This activity now ends up being a really good fine motor activity for practicing balancing and strengthening the hand-eye coordination to get the blocks to stay up tall. Well, who knew I could talk about silly block designs for so long, but I'm not quite done yet because I want to be sure and point out that building blocks doesn't have to be just building blocks. These concepts work the same whether they are building with blocks or with empty Amazon boxes or diapers and wipes boxes, Tupperware containers, Kleenex boxes, or any other stackable type object that you can find around your own house. For the next skill of lacing three one-inch beads on a string, I use a shoelace or some type of heavier string with one end tied into a knot. That way, when they put the beads on, they don't continue sliding down and then just slide right off the other end. The knot will hold the beads on so they can be successful in keeping them on the string. Some variations to this activity are things like using a pipe cleaner instead of a string or shoelace to put the beads on. With the pipe cleaner, I still twist one end up into a knot or a ball so that the beads don't fall off of here either. The pipe cleaners are great for kids who are learning this skill because the wire keeps them straight so the kids have one less thing to focus on. With the string, you have to figure out how to hold towards the end of the string in order to be able to put it through the holes of the beads. With the wire pipe cleaners, they can hold the kids can hold farther back on them and still be successful with getting the beads to go on. You can also try things like round wooden craft sticks or pencils or paracord or rope or anything else that could serve as the so-called string. Also with the beads, I usually find beads at the craft store or craft section of stores like Walmart or Target. There are quite a few options out there for sizes of the beads themselves, plus sizes of the holes that go through the beads. The bigger the holes, the easier it should make the activity for your child. I also use other objects that aren't necessarily beads, but could be things like Fruit Loop cereal or tubular pasta noodles, cut up pieces of straws. I even have some flatter lacing objects that are plastic and flat, but have several holes going through the middle of them. These are kind of nice and, and different because the whole areas are shallow rather than having to fit the string through a thicker bead. It goes through the holes and comes out the other side easily, which can also help the kids be more successful when they're learning this activity. The thing to keep in mind with this one 
is that the whole point is seeing whether or not the child can use both hands for the same activity. So one hand will be holding or stabilizing the string, and the other hand is holding the bead and trying to put it on the string. Then, and this is also key for this activity, they switch hands to pull the string through on the opposite side of the bead. Some kids will want to keep holding the bead with the same hand and reach over and pull the string through the rest of the way with the same hand that started out with the string. This is okay in the beginning because they're working on the fine motor aspect of the skill of getting the bead on in the first place. However, once they understand that concept, you want to try and encourage them to switch hands to pull the string and the bead the rest of the way. The switching hands piece of this activity shows good crossing midline and bilateral coordination of both hands and the brain. I try to watch for those kiddos that hold the string and the bead in a vertical or up and down position rather than horizontal or side to side. This could be, but is not always, a possible indicator of issues with crossing midline. If you know that a child has issues with crossing midline, then you want to make sure you have them bringing the beads and string across from left to right, preferably. But I will also take right to left with this, just to reinforce crossing over to the opposite sides and coordinating the hands to switch on each object. Just as an added bonus to this activity, once they get a few beads or pieces on, you can stop and have them point and count with you to each one and see how many they've done to that point. This not only reinforces and praises them by pointing out how many they've been able to do, but also works on another good preschool-type learning skill of counting. Some people buy those lacing cards, which are basically like cardboard-type boards with holes around the edges of it, and the idea is that you lace a string all around the edges. I like these, but a lot of the younger kids first learning this lacing skill won't see the point of those and tend to lose interest more quickly than we do with bead activities. I'm not saying don't try it, because there are some kids that really do love them early on too, but it might be something they can really get into after they've mastered the stringing beads skill in the first place. The next skill of using their Fingers to hold crayons rather than their whole fist should make sense at this time if you think about the last two activities that I just discussed. Kids should be using their thumb and fingers to grasp the beads and the blocks. They should be past the stage of gripping these things with their whole fist by this time. If they aren't, these are good activities to do with them anyway to start encouraging them to hold things using their thumb and fingers instead of the palms of their hands. I will go ahead and jump forward with this activity to the other pieces that go along with it during this age range, which are imitating drawing a horizontal line, drawing random or spontaneous objects, and eventually copying a single circle, and also imitating drawing a cross or a plus sign. At this point, they should already be able to imitate drawing a vertical line, that would hopefully, hopefully go from top to bottom or in the down direction. So after that, usually the horizontal line comes next. These are done in imitation, which means that, you, that first you draw the horizontal line, then they draw one or attempt to draw one like yours. I give the verbal cue or prompt across, 
then I draw my line. And I also say it every time they draw one or try to draw one as well. This sets the stage for them to draw the line eventually without the model, where you can just say, draw across, and they will know what you mean and will be able to do it. I tried to encourage the left to right motion as much as possible when doing the horizontal lines, but I do know that when kids at this age draw, they often switch back and forth between hands a lot still. So if they are using the left hand at the moment, it would be more natural for them to draw the across line from right to left. It just feels easier to draw by pulling across your body. Again, I'm fine with that because it does reinforce that crossing midline in another way. The reason I encourage top to bottom and left to right from the beginning is because that is how we read and write. So practicing this at an early age starts that pattern now and reinforces it in their brains. It can turn out to be very helpful for later on in school age times when they are learning to read. Imitating a a cross, drawing a plus sign or a cross, is another skill that emerges during the 24 to 36 month time range. But, and this may be obvious, it doesn't happen until they can do each of the vertical and horizontal lines first. When you are to the point of working on making the cross, again, you draw one first and let them watch your hand movements and then look at the drawing while they try one. It can take some time for them to be able to do this drawing, but try and emphasize to them the part where they pick up their hand off the paper after drawing the down line and making a big gesture to move your hand over to the left side and draw across. Many times this is hard to get at first. Kids will draw the down line then continue on with the same line by turning it to go across, really making more of a capital L shape. It's tricky, but with more and more practice, they can get it. When you're teaching these lines with kids, don't think it has to be with paper and pencil or crayon. It can be on anything. You can do it with using paints and paint brushes or paper on paper, or in a sensory box of kinetic or colored play sand, shaving cream um, on a window, outside in the mud using a stick, on the driveway with sidewalk chalk, so many other ways. In fact, sometimes when the activity involves using the whole arm to do, to do the movement, or what I would consider gross motor movements, this can really emphasize the actions and drive the pattern home in their brains. So when they go back to doing it on paper sometime, it could be easier for them to remember or complete. Consider having the child draw on things that are in different positions, like having an easel that makes the surface go up and down rather than always having it flat or on the table or floor or something like that. Having even a slight angle to the surface changes the dynamic of the activity and can either make it more difficult or easier for them depending on their skill level. Also, people don't think about this a lot, but having them lay on their back and draw on something that is above them, for example, taping a piece of paper to the underneath side of a table, so they have to raise their arm up while lying down to draw or color things. One other thing to mention on this activity, or using crowns and other drawing materials. There are a lot of opinions out there about whether to use skinny markers or the wide markers, or regular crayons versus the larger, wider crayons. And this to me is not necessarily a black and white issue 
Because some kids need one or the other based on their individual skill level with fine motor coordination. For a child who has typical fine motor coordination, the thought is that you should encourage them to use the regular size crayons or the skinny markers and chalk. Because this tends to encourage a higher level of fine motor skill to use those smaller objects and reinforces the use of their thumb and fingers rather than gripping the larger objects with their whole hand. It is more difficult to grasp the skinnier and smaller markers and crowns with their whole fist and be successful in making marks. So they might be more willing to try holding with their fingertips rather than their palms. Again, I'm not saying don't use certain ones, but just thought I would mention what the general thought is with that. The final activity I will talk about for this age group is using scissors. Most parents cringe at the thought of handing scissors to their two-year-old. I can understand this, but you would be surprised at what they can learn with them as long as they have your supervision, of course. So around the 24-month age time, the child should start to have the skill of being able to snip with scissors. This means that when you place the child's size scissors in their hand and help them open them, they can squeeze the scissors to close them and make a snip on a piece of paper that most likely you are also holding for them. As a therapist, before I throw a pair of scissors in a child's hand for the first time, I will often start out with a completely different activity, kitchen tongs. These might seem tedious and ridiculous for a two-year-old to try and manage, but trust me, they can do it. And actually, I find that the larger normal-sized kitchen tongs are easier for them to start off with than the small, tiny kids' plastic tongs that usually go with um, some of those bug-catching kits and things like that. Those things that really look more like small kid tweezers. The smaller the object, generally the harder the fine motor skill. So the regular kitchen tongs that I get at the dollar store tend to be a little easier to learn with. I think it helps reinforce the closing or squeezing aspect because it is so obvious that it's happening when you see it and feel it with these larger tongs. The nice thing about them also is that the child only has to focus on the closing part since the tongs spring back open on their own when you stop squeezing. This lets the child be successful in using the tongs to pick things up with them if they can get that squeezing concept down. Try to find things that are easy to pick up. I tend to use those little wooden blocks with the ABCs on them because they are a great size for this activity. They fit in the tongs well and they aren't very slippery, so they usually stay in as long as the child keeps squeezing. Then have them put the blocks or whatever object you decide to use into a cup or a bowl or some container. You may have to work to get the container under the tongs in time at first to help them get the objects in and be successful. Some kids will get the squeezing concept down really fast, then have a harder time with the opening part. They will either keep squeezing and wondering why the object isn't just falling out into the bowl, or they will let go of the tongs completely and the whole thing falls to the floor. This takes practice, and just letting them play around with the tongs and experiment with them can help. Also, if they grasp on the tongs closer to the middle rather than farther away at the far end, they should have an easier time with the whole thing. Don't be afraid to think about outside-the-box activities with this. 
and letting them use the tongs in a sensory bin of cooked pasta or dried beans or something like that. You can also find all kinds of different fun types of tongs that are even kid-sized too, but not too small, that it becomes frustrating for them. Try to add some language to this as well. I usually emphasize squeeze and open for each of the actions. Then once we move on to using the actual scissors, you can still use those same words at first to help them get the idea. But eventually you change over to something like cut and open or whatever works for you. The child size scissors are good for little hands and there are quite a lot of options for types of scissors out there. Some that have a spring and are self-opening, similar to the tongs. But I tend to use the regular child or toddler scissors unless they really need some type of adaptation. At first with snipping, like I said, you will probably have to help quite a bit. You might have to start by holding the paper and putting it in the right place for them and helping them open the scissors at first. But eventually as they practice, you can have them start holding the paper and wait to see if they can open the scissors next time before you jump in and do it right away for them. Model and show them with your own hands what it looks like to do the action of opening the scissors. Do not let them use two hands for this. For one, that will not encourage them to learn the correct action, and secondly, they could end up snipping their own fingers accidentally. This is one rule that I always have with these little ones. Only one hand on the scissors. If they are having trouble, I either help them so they don't need the second hand to help, or we move on to another activity that might be easier. When learning the snipping, also consider using thicker paper like construction paper or poster board type because it will be more sturdy for them. I also like to start with strips of paper that I pre-cut for them. The strips should be skinny enough that they can cut right through the whole strip with only one snip of the child scissors. So usually between maybe a quarter to a half inch wide or about one centimeter. They tend to like watching the piece get cut into pieces and can find it reinforcing. The strip should be a little bit longer though so they can make several cuts on the strip before getting a new one and so they don't have to snip too close to the hand that is holding the paper. You can also do things like cutting plastic straws or cutting Play-Doh after you've rolled it into little skinny snakes. Um, later in the age range, towards the 28-month age and beyond, once they have, or once they have learned the snipping motion, they can progress to cutting in a forward motion one or two times. Then eventually cutting across a whole piece of paper and then on to attempting to snip or cut on a line on the paper. So finding a specific point on the paper and being able to motor plan and use their fine motor skills to cut in that particular place. As they become good at snipping the skinny strips of paper, you can start to make the strips wider and wider to encourage them to cut more than just one snip and try to keep the scissors in place after the first one open the scissors, and then snip again before removing them from the cutting area. I know that scissor skills are not high on most parents' priority list of things they want to teach their two-year-old how to do. I get it, and a lot of times in early intervention, I will wait until later to actually put scissors in their hands, if at all, unless the parents are okay with it. 
We can get a lot of practice and repetition in a safe way with tongs, and most of the time, parents feel comfortable with this activity and will be more likely to want to do this with their child, even when I'm not there. That's okay. I don't get too stressed about scissor skills at this age necessarily anyway, but it is a skill that they technically could learn at this point, so I wanted to mention it. And obviously, as I said, this activity has to be supervised by an adult. Make sure and put all of the household scissors in a secure location once you open this can of worms so you don't have any accidents or toddler-initiated haircuts when you aren't looking. I will be listing several items that I've talked about today on my website to give you a better visual on what I've described, so please check out the links to those products. I'm going to end there for today. Have a great day, and thank you so much for listening.